Hello, everyone, and welcome to this month's Cab Chat Podcast. I'm Dr. Mindy Waite, and we have with us, as always, Dr. Jessica Lockhart. Hello. And this month, we are bringing back Dr. Karen London. Hey, Karen. Hi, it's great to be here. And many of you know Karen. Again, she was on a podcast maybe a month or two ago, and she's been on several of the Cab Chats with um, Dr. Hetz and Dr. Estep. And she's written several books, which I know many of you had read. Um, I don't, Karen, you might not remember this, but when I first started getting into animal behavior, I went to the IFAB conference and I brought some of your books. And I was like, will you please sign these for me? And I look back on that a little bit embarrassed, but um, like everyone knows Karen's books, basically. So, oh, well, luckily I don't really remember that, but I'm, I'm pleased that you thought so highly of them that you wanted that. But now that I know you, I'm deleted that from my that file Maybe. in my brain. So we're all good. We're all good. So, um, so Dr. London very kindly has joined us. And one of the reasons we're so excited to have her is because not only is she a certified applied animal behaviorist, but she's going to be talking to us today about the newest book that she has written. And she is certainly very familiar with animal behavior from her um, her graduate work, getting her PhD in zoology from the best university probably in the world, the University of Madison, Wisconsin. And she is also adjunct faculty now at Northern Arizona Uni- University in the Department of Biological Sciences. And then further, she's able to apply what she has learned to the general public through her column in the, uh, the London Zoo for the Arizona Daily Sun and also her writing for the Bark magazine. So Karen is no slouch. Right, Karen? I guess that's true. Sounds good. <laughs> yes, that's true. I would, I would only take issue with this idea that she went to the best um, university that there is. I mean, well, come on. UT what? is not anything to be left. <laughs> well, okay, so, so that's second best. We'll, we'll, we'll... Oh, <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> so, yes. So the book we're going to talk about that um, Dr. London just wrote, it just came out, oh gosh, what, two or three weeks ago, Karen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the end of October, so about three weeks ago. Okay. And it's called Treat Everyone Like a Dog, which I think is fascinating. My husband probably thinks is um, potentially insulting. But you do talk a lot in the book about about why you chose this title and um, why people should not be insulted about it. So can you just give us a little overview of like why you chose to write this book or how long it's been in the process? Uh, sure. Well, I mean, addressing the title, treat everyone like a dog. Obviously, that term is so derogatory, which I think is the <laughs> height of irony, because I have had so many clients over the years and friends and relatives where it would be completely reasonable to think I would like to die and come back as that person's dog. Mm-hmm. They're treated so well. And dog trainers, good dog trainers, treat dogs so respectfully and so lovingly and so helpfully that what they do if applied to people is a great kindness. And I feel like when I am working with dogs, I'm really at my best. I'm it's, you know, what I know how to do and I'm always teaching and training dogs and because of what I know about, you know, learning theory and ethology and uh, the principles of training and learning and you know years of experience and things I've learned from other people, I'm able to help another species do amazing things like turn around when they're chasing deer and come back to me if I ask them to or <laughs> not go near the stake I've dropped on the floor because I don't want to have to go back to the grocery store. And I feel like, wow, dog trainers, including me, you know, we know things about how to influence behavior, how to get others to do what we would like them 
them to do in kind and loving and humane ways. And for people who don't know that, those things, they should really want to know those things because all of us humans as a social species, we're always trying to influence the behavior uh, of those around us and mm-hmm. teach them things. And so it makes sense, you know, sort of I, I think of it as the, you know, those who know the secrets of influencing others walk among us and they are called dog trainers. And I've been, I've been working on the book. I've been working on the book for about seven years, but with wow. the coronavirus, I've really had a lot of time to work on it. And I really was inspired to for the idea when one time when my kids were two and three and I was so frustrated with them about a really, I was frustrated with them about a really small thing, which was that um, I didn't know where their shoes were and they're supposed to put their shoes in the bin. I was saying like, why do you not have your shoes on the bin, in the bin yesterday? Like now we can't find them. Their eyes got kind of wide and they looked kind of upset. And I thought, my gosh, I would never do this with dogs. Mm-hmm. Dogs hadn't done what I wanted them to do. I would be like, huh, well, how can I help them do the right thing? And here I was like, you know, getting so upset with my children. And I thought, wow, I, I, I'm, I'm a better person when I'm with dogs, when I'm teaching them and influencing their behavior than I am with my own children who, you know, I love more than everything else on the planet. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of when the idea for the book was born. I have to say, you know, I've had the same idea about writing a very similar book. And it came from a probably the exact same moment. <laughs> um, yeah, I when I had my first son, I remember walking out of the hospital and they just hand them to you. They just they're like, here you go. That nobody checks to make sure you know what you're doing. You just walk out with it. Um, and you get home and there's no one to tell you what to do next. And so I kind of had a moment of panic. And then I was like, well, I know how to raise and train a puppy. So we're going to go with that. <laughs> and and we went through everything from dealing with separation anxiety to <laughs> teething to um, I taught him recall as a fun little party trick, it turned out. Um, and uh, we were at a friend's party one time and I couldn't I couldn't get my children to come back to me when I called them. And I was like, but I can make a dog do this. Why can't mm-hmm. I? So like, okay, I'm just going to train, train him with, for recall like I do with a dog. And so he did it. And then my son thought it was the best game. And we were at a party and he runs up to me and he goes, mom, let's play the come here game. And I was like, oh, God. Oh, okay and then he took off to the far end of the yard and he turned around and he got ready and then I had to give him the big signal just like if he were a puppy I'm like come on baby come on and he just came running so um at that moment I was like man I should write a book but thankfully you have written the book yes. and you were much more eloquent at it than I could have ever hoped to be so I was I was really excited to see this book come out I'm like finally this is great oh thank you well I love that 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 you had that same experience and it makes sense because as professionals in the field we know things and you know there are a lot of people who apply things from their professional life to their personal life like I bought mm-hmm. my husband and I bought our first house from a woman that was a legal secretary and I mean talk about someone that like dotted their eyes and crossed their teeth like everything had to be perfect at work the legal secretary and we bought the house right after we closed she's like oh I have a confession to make and I thought she was going to say something like the foundation was cracked and we're like oh no we just signed everything and she's like she'd owned the house for like 16 years and she said there were a couple of times that I didn't change the filter from the furnace on the first of the month <laughs> it's like I mean like she was basically being her professional self in her personal life which is why the house was perfect until we bought it and treated it like normal people do but I mean I love Jessica that you had these experiences because it really I mean, it just shows me that it resonates with people and there's a lot for me in 
in the book and in the book that isn't about, I mean, there are things obviously about influencing the behavior of my children, but there are a lot of, um, you know, it's, it's about influencing the behavior of all people, including my children. And I love mm-hmm. how you talked about how your son said, like, it's a game, like, can we play the, you know, come here game? Because one of the things I do love to talk about when I'm talking about influencing behavior is, you know, make it a game. So one of the stories I love to tell is that a friend of mine wanted help. She wanted me to help her come with a positive reinforcement plan to help her get her husband to put his clothes in the laundry basket. Oh my gosh. He was resistant to that. And they, they, they've thought about this for years. It's, I don't, you know, lots of times these little conflicts that married people have, they're not really about like the laundry. It's, you know, it's deeper than that, but that's where the problem manifests itself. And he was like, well, you're the one that wanted it in the basket. Like, I don't care. So you put it in. And she's like, look, it would only take you a sec. What's the big deal? So, you know, there's a lot of conflict there. So she talked to me about, you know, can you train him and positive reinforcement? And I was like, well, we could, but that sounds like a lot of work. Like he's a pretty sporty dude. Why don't you put um, a basketball hoop over your laundry basket? And then, you know, he like, he gets to shoot his clothes in there. And plus, and as a bonus, which I actually hadn't really thought of ahead of time, if he missed, he wasn't going to leave a sign that he'd missed. So he always picked it up and tried again. So it was like making it a game. I mean, you did that with your son, but everybody, you know, we all know dogs learn best when it's a game. Obviously kids do, but adults also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I, I think, think, that that's, I, think I was going to say, I think that's a good point. You know, dog trainers can tell you, you know, firsthand that when somebody says, what's a good reinforcer? And the answer is always the thing that worked, right? There's no definition. <laughs> My of definition. Reinforcing. Yeah. yeah. So the idea of putting up the basketball hoop, because that's what he enjoys. Like if you hung a ha- basketball hoop over my laundry basket, I would never use it ever yeah. again. And, you know, but on the flip side, you know, my kids have laundry baskets that have basketball hoop because it is fun and it's a challenge. So, um, yeah, it's, it's that keying into what's reinforcing. Mm-hmm. Something that, you know, is, is a really important part of dog training is that, the, you know, the, the reinforcee decides what's reinforcing. So this comes up in dog training as... As we know when people call their dog to come and then like pat him on the head and he doesn't like it or, you know, you know, cut his nails, which, you know, almost every dog hates. And it's the same thing with people. Like if you call your kids to like, you know, okay, it's time to leave the park, like come home and do chores. Like how excited are they to leave the park mm-hmm. the next time? And even smaller things, like I personally don't like the flavor of mint. So if someone gives me like thin mints as a thank you gift, I mean, it's not that reinforcing. I mean, I appreciate the gesture. So, you know, it's still, <laughs> you know, in the social, you know, kind of environment, I'm still like, I'm like, oh, okay thank you. That's really nice. And I do appreciate it. It's not, I'm not going to work for thin mints or like mint ice cream because I don't, the only time I use mint is with toothpaste. And that is really just because, you know, society requires it of us. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing I, I like about this book, Karen, is that you've taken a lot of these like basic behavioral principles that, you know, we all know as scientists, we know basic behavioral principles are consistent across species, but you've made it really clear here about how you can apply them to people. Because if you, you can read any dog training book, like the average person can go out, they can buy a dog training book. They can read, Oh, here's how I do positive reinforcement with dogs. Fine. No problem. But you don't often find that about how to apply it like outside of dogs. And you've made it really simple here. You're like, here's how I do it with a dog. And then here's how you can do it with basically anybody. Oh, I'm I'm glad that you appreciate that in the book because I, I mean I really did want to make it practical and the way I think of this book I think of it it's like kind of a love letter to dog trainers I think dog trainers <laughs> and dog behaviors are going to read it and it's going to feel really familiar and kind of fun that way but for people who sort of know I mean there are a lot of dog training things people know like ignore behavior you don't like or you know give them a job which I always say became a very popular idea right about the time border collies became popular pets and things like that but they don't necessarily know some of the other principles or exactly mm-hmm. how to apply them and I do want it to it's like to me it's a love letter to dog trainers and a you know like a guidebook for everybody else and I want it to be practical and you know and be filled with stories of what I actually did. Jessica were you going to say something? 
Oh yeah, I was gonna say I liked the anecdote that uh, that Karen goes into about her neighbor and the kind of accidental reinforcing. Oh, of, that's a good of, one. Of building in these daily visits that you hadn't realized were so important, but um, I thought that right. was great. That... She ended up training you, just like yeah. with any good trainer. That half the time the dog is training us more than we're training the dog. So right. Well, in that case, it was my across the street neighbor Rita. Um, uh, and yeah, and I always checked that if she didn't hadn't retrieved her paper, she was a widow. If she hadn't retrieved her paper by about 10 a.m. I would go over and check on her, and so she started leaving it out so I would come visit. Which I, I loved visiting her, but the worrisome thing was that was a warning. Like I mean, mm-hmm. I, I at that time like if she called, we dropped everything. Like I would never be like, oh, you know what? That's like you know even like you know my best friend or my mom or dad or my sister. I'll just call back in a few minutes. We're finishing dinner. There was none of that with Rita. Like if she called, mm-hmm. I mean we just answered right away and went right over because you know she might have fallen or you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It could have been a real emergency. So, yeah, I, 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 I love the story because it is funny how she trained me by mistake on my end. But I was worried because I had lost my emergency warning system. Like, there was, I wouldn't know if there was a problem. She was a total dog person, too, by the way. So Aww. she's obviously good people. She has since passed away. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I... I really like about your book is not just, you know, here are the principles and here's how you could apply them across a variety of species or a variety of like interactions. But then you also you spend a a good amount of the book talking about like positivity and how positive reinforcement is potentially more valuable, not just with our dogs, but again, with other people, which I think can be very valuable right now especially um and and why positivity should should maybe be used more often than like you know other consequences that we purposely or maybe accidentally provide to other people like punishment yeah i'm glad that i'm glad that you like that that sort of uh, like struck you that i do talk a lot about positive mm-hmm. action several chapters about positivity and to me what's so important in society with behavior is that we focus more on what people are doing right than what they're doing wrong. And that's not how it is. I mean, like look at any like Yelp review series, like, or, or, you know, comments about airlines or restaurants or anything, teachers. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like that a lot of people assume that like everyone's on the right track and they're doing everything perfectly. And it's our job to like, you know, act like a, like a, the wall at like a racetrack and like get them back in where they should be if they veer away from it. Like this only looking for what's wrong. And I love the idea that we, we say about dogs all the time, catch them doing something right. Um, and I feel like dog trainers are, are used to doing that with dogs. And I think many of them are getting used to doing it with people. Still not as prevalent in our society as I would like. But I, I feel like I, I really go out of my way to notice what I like and comment on it. Because otherwise, how do people know that it is a desirable kind of thing? And truly one of the great joys of my parenting life is how positive my kids have grown up to be like how um, like generous with their likes on social media and how quick they are to point out something that a teacher's done that they like or um, you know when they're playing sports like really making a big deal with one of their teammates especially maybe one that hasn't had all that much success does something you know pretty noteworthy or important um, and you know I feel like positivity is um, in you know sort of infectious as many things are these days yeah. and I'm I, I'm I really feel like I want positivity to spread in society and I've been really happy to see that uh, that's something I can see from my kids growing up in a dog training household. That's something that they've really seemed to have um, developed as part of their core being. And I think the positivity, the nice thing about that is it can be useful, again, across like pretty much any context. And I say that because so I... I have been a manager before for a company and part of my role was to manage people, right? But I spent a decent amount of my time like 
engaging with people I didn't manage and telling them what I liked about what they did or just telling them like essentially positive things about like themselves or their work or something like that. And whenever I needed something, I knew I could go to those people because I had I had purposely built a good relationship with them. And a lot of people would say, well, gee, why are you like, why are you so nice to all these people? <laughs> Which sounds really weird. But like, you're so positive, Mindy. You're so you're just you're so nice when you engage with people. And I'm like, yeah, because a, you should ethically do that, but also be like, in the end, it really works for you because then people want to be around you. They want to do things for you. Um, so it's not, it sounds really selfish, right? But like positivity is nice, but it also gets you places you wouldn't have gone otherwise. And sometimes I'm surprised that people try other um, more forceful ways of getting what they want when positivity can work just fine. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really true. I and mean, I think positivity is, is super powerful. Uh, and I I think when you're saying like, well, these people want to be around you, they want to help you, um, or they're willing to do it. And I think that when positivity has that effect, uh, first of all, it means being done right, which is great. And second of all, I think it means that all you've done is line up what you want people to do with what they want to do. And yes. isn't that nice instead of there being conflict? And I, I really do feel like um, people often try the negative sort of things or like harsher things because they don't know what to do. Like when I was upset with my kids because I didn't know where their shoes were, I, I didn't have... I didn't have another plan at that moment, which I just like to say I was sleep deprived. I'm not proud of my behavior. I'm not excusing <laughs> it. But, you know, like not every moment is a general winner when you have like, you know, I had children under the age of two and you know, it just sort of got a little hard until they were like four and three and we started, you know, get some sleep. But anyway, um, I think that uh, people I got, I really like the expression like force is the absence of real power. Like when you see someone and they're tugging a dog on their leash, trying to get them to oh. go where they want to go. If they had a way to just call the dog or make it work, like I always believe they would do that. They're doing this because they've run out of options. Maybe they never had them or they've tried those and the dog hasn't been trained in that way. I think it's the same thing with people. I think people are often harsh and mean and negative for lack of a, of a you know, because they don't really have the power to say, I need you to do this for me or please do this and have it just happen. It's like there has to be some other, you know, it's like they don't have a, mm -hmm. a way to do it that doesn't involve that. Or certainly I think most people would. I mean, there are obviously a very, very, very few people who are like mean, cruel and heartless people, but most people that might be doing things that maybe aren't as kind, it's because they don't have they haven't you know mm -hmm. they don't have a way to do it in, in a nicer way at that moment or I think pretty much everybody would choose that and one of the great things about dog training and one of the reasons I actually love working with horse people is that horse people know you can't force an animal <laughs> you, know, you might be able to, to you know to force a, a Bichon or a you know a lab or even a great mm -hmm. thing but like you're not you know you're not going to be forcing a you know a quarter horse or a Belgian you know um, so um, you know people that know that you can't force don't do it and they've used positive things a lot and people who have developed these ways of doing these positive things do it because it's just so much more effective and so much more pleasant. Absolutely. And, and, you know, in the working world, like if you, I guess if you need something done and you force it, like that's unfortunate and maybe you get the thing done and maybe you don't, but especially with long-term relationships, I don't have kids, so I can't speak to kids, but I imagine like that's not something you want to force because you want to have a really good relationship with this human being for your entire life. And so I imagine forcing things is just not good. Yeah, I agree. I mean, so my kids are 15 and a half and 17 now. So they really, in many ways, seem like adults. And in a lot of ways, they actually are. But, you know, obviously, legally, they're not adults. And they're still living in my house and our house. And at this point, they're here a lot because, you know, they're 
learning from home and, you know, a lot of their sports aren't happening and things were a little bit locked in. But um, but I, I feel like um, the, if I were to force them, then all they would be doing is looking forward to moving out of the house. I mean, they yeah. still probably are to have their own independence in a natural developmental way, but hopefully not a like in an, oh, dear God, I've really got to get out of here, you know, sooner than yesterday would be better kind of a thing. I'm hoping that, you know, that it does, um, you know, that we're able to have a, a good relationship throughout their development. Mm-hmm. And I, I found that I really am enjoying them as teenagers. You know, naturally, what? I have no idea what they say to, to their friends, but like, I really enjoy them. I, I mean, I, I don't, I've, I've not had so far a lot of the big teenage issues. I mean, but, you know, I mean, obviously, um, you know, I don't... I, I don't know how they feel about it from their perspective. That's, you know, up to them. <laughs> yeah, I was um, <clears throat> I was also looking through your book. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, the, what I, I guess one aspect that I really like of it. Yes, I'm, I know about dog training. I know about behavior. So I read this book. I'm like, I love that you've put this forward. This is great. And it's great. But the other thing is there are people out there who understand people really well. And mm. maybe they're not so great at understanding animals, but they want to be better at dealing with animals like reading this book is going to put these techniques into very clear illustrations for mm-hmm. them because they're probably already doing this in their life with other people but they don't know and, it or they're not purposely yeah. doing it maybe mm-hmm. and they haven't really thought oh I should apply this to animals just like dog trainers are like yeah well, this is how I work with a dog and I haven't thought about applying this to humans or maybe we all have at, at this point I don't know um it's like the number one question I get at a party when people find out what I do. Like, oh, can you train my husband? I'm like, yeah, I can. Yes, I can. <laughs> yeah, it's not a joke. That it works really well. Um, no, I say people. I get that all the time. Like, can I train train my husband? Can you can you train my husband? Husband or can uh, can you train my wife? And I'm always like, yes, absolutely. And I can teach you how to do that too. Yeah. Um, you know, like first it, off, but... do you think your spouse enjoys that question? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> well, and I think um, it's so interesting because a lot of people, um, when they say that, um, what's so interesting to me and of course we can train or teach they're essentially synonyms in the context that we're using them yes. other individuals in our lives whether they're like our boss or people we run into socially or family members or people we work with or whatever um, but what to me is so interesting it's like all about the relationship like the mm-hmm. relationship is so important for teaching and training that's why I love one of the reasons I love incorporating play when anyone has a behavioral issue with their dog because it helps build the relationship um, and then you know and their skills in, in play that they can then use for very specific training purposes. And I just love that. There's mm-hmm. something that's so, you know, irksome that one spouse does and you want to work on changing that and you focused on that in a kind, respectful way that lined up what you want them to do with what you want, you know, what they want to do and what mm-hmm. you want them to do, you can do it. I like the, the when you get into the more complicated or not complicated, but maybe a little bit more complex skill sets that dog trainers tend to use, like, um, you know, putting an undesirable behavior on cue. And that's probably one of my favorite things to do training dogs. And in my personal life, um, I've definitely done that with my children. Um, It seems like all infants go through this, or toddlers, I should say, go through this stage where they just want to rip the diaper off at any point in time. Um, and so what we've done is we, we set aside, there's a specific time during the day where you can do that and you can take the diaper off and we're going to have naked time and it's going to be great. But if it's not naked time, we got to leave everything on <laughs> and, and it seems to work and it seems to help keep them focused. Like, all right, you know, I know my time's coming and the, this is not the time for it and I'm going to get my cue 
And we make a big deal out of it. And it's like, oh boy, here it comes. It's naked time. <laughs> and it's, uh, and it's, it can be shocking when we have visitors over. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you're here for naked time. And so we, <laughs> it we can't take right. it back. <laughs> well, you know, I just love that because, I mean, I think the idea of putting an undesirable behavior on cue in that context also kind of, you know, sort of bleeds over into the idea of like, you don't want to work against someone. Like mm-hmm. if this is so important to your child, why wouldn't you want to give them an opportunity to do that? Unless it's, you know, dangerous or, right. you know, it, it hurts someone else. Or, you know, obviously some things are just deal breakers. But um, and, I mean, I love the idea. I mean, if there's behavior that they find reinforcing themselves, not because you reinforce it, but something else in the environment is reinforcing it, like it's not worth it to fight against that in a lot of cases in my, you know, my parenting opinion. So I think that's terrific. And then Karen, the other thing I know we just kind of just basically saying like all the things that we love about your book, but, but I mean, you start off by saying, you know, here are behavioral principles. Here's how like in a very general sense they can be applied. And here's what I recommend in terms of like positive versus negative versus punishment. And then you have all these really wonderful examples of like how you could utilize this between the species. But then I like how you also have examples of like not where things fail, but where exceptions need to be made. And you had a story in here where you had to bribe your kids to take a picture. Will you just talk a little bit about that? Oh, sure. And so my my sort of feel on bribery is I don't generally use bribery. It's it's very exceptional. I don't like to use bribery because, and bribery is distinct from positive reinforcement. Obviously, a lot of people actually get that confused, but people in the field obviously are well aware of that. Positive reinforcement is using consequences to a behavior that make that behavior more likely to happen. Bribery is basically saying like a promising something, like promising the goods if a behavior is done. So if you ask your dog to sit and then magically pull a treat out of your back pocket and give it to them, they'll be like, wow, sitting makes treats happen. That's great. But if you ask your dog to sit, they don't. And then you show them a treat and be like, okay, do you want a treat? Like, yeah, you can have a treat if you sit. That's bribery. Um, So with dogs, I would use bribery every once in a while if there's an emergency like a dog gets mm-hmm. out there in the middle of a busy road like rattle that treat bag like don't worry about their training you can fix that later but they have to live to see another training day so you know bribe them for sure if it's an emergency to save them and then with well, I bribed my kids for a photo I think this was in 2007 my mother-in-law who is still alive and with us was very ill then and we honestly didn't know if she would you know survive and it was we were all together for Christmas you know my in-laws each of their three sons the three wives the six grandkids and we always take a family picture and my kids were not having it. I think they were like, you know, they were just a few years old. And I mean, they were, you know, they had, hadn't slept well and they'd had too much holiday candy and they, they just were not about sitting still for a picture. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, my kids are going to ruin the last family picture. <laughs> that won't do. They're going to be making faces or like they'll be covering their face with their hands or one will be like turning around with his head in the couch. They were incapable at that moment of being their best, which is a dog training thing. The dog, sometimes you say the dog can't do this right now. They can't roll mm-hmm. over at the dog. My kids just could not do it. So I called him aside and said, you guys are good and you smile and these photo sessions were like five minutes long I'm like you guys smile and make nice for the picture I'll give you a piece of candy and they were like okay and they did it and it's like okay that's not great training principles but all I cared about at that point was having the picture so you know I'm not advocating bribery in general but I do not regret that decision a bit like I think that was absolutely the right call because the picture was more important than what my kids were learning at that moment (laughs) in my opinion right right but it's nice because people know okay um in an ideal world, like I'm going to think through what behaviors I want. I'm going to plan for how I'm going to get them. But there are going to be moments when those behaviors aren't going to happen. And you, and it sounds like people just need to make a judgment call of like, can I just let this one go? Or is this like, you know, a once in a lifetime photo shoot with my family that like I will essentially pay anything for? <laughs> 
because I need right. this photo shoot to no, go. It's, it, no, it's so true. I mean, and I had, you know, my kids were pretty little, but I'd already taught them, you know, like they'd smile and I'd see for the camera. We'd done this in the past. Mm-hmm. It was good. But at that moment, they were not capable of it. And, it, you know, things like that happen all the time. Like if you're driving in very stressful traffic in Chicago, you might not be able to, you know, tell somebody about how you derive Schrodinger's wave equation successfully on exam, <laughs> even if you just did it the day before, you know, I mean, you might just not have the mental space or the emotional um, sort of um, wherewithal at that moment to do what you need, you know, what you would normally be able to do. And I think you have to make adjustments. And I, I think that making adjustments for dogs like oh there's a squirrel they're not gonna be able to do anything except maybe not you know run (laughs) maybe they'll just be able to hang on here with me if I like put a treat by their nose Mm -hmm. kind of a thing um and I feel like it's the same thing with kids I think sometimes people ask want kids to be able to just always be at their best like maybe it's their birthday party and they're kind of being like all crazy because they're opening all these presents or they're at Disneyland for the first time um you know they're like you know, they made their own, they, they bake brownies themselves for the first time. And when they're talking about it, they're chewing with their mouth full, even though they're old enough to know better. It's like, I think these things have to be understood in context. And I think dog trainers talk a lot about context and what can the dog do in this situation? What are the distractions here? The distractions currently here, what kind of state is the dog in? Did he just like see four dogs that he, are his best buddies run by and now he's not as focused on you? That's understandable. We can work from there. Not like, well, he can usually do it. So I think that that kind of patience comes from mm-hmm. understanding what individual can do in a situation which dog trainers are all about you know sort of all day every day the other thing that really struck me and once again i i don't have children so i i'm sure they're a ton of effort but like in like in general but the other thing that struck me is that you were really thoughtful throughout the book about like here's a scenario where i know my kids are gonna have to be able to engage in certain behaviors or like you know they're growing older like this is an expectation of society on them and you guys practiced a lot like you really thought through what are the things that i need how am i going to practice those and then it sounds like you really did practice those quite a bit with your kids and i don't know if that's how often that's done with by parents i have no clue you know according to my kids like they they don't think that they're this is much. Oh. So I remember having them practice a lot with getting snow pants on. So in kindergarten, they could, you know, wouldn't have to wait, you know, the teachers have to help them. And then, you know, you don't get to play as long. I wanted them to be the first out the door or have the opportunity if they chose to. Um, I remember one thing I always worried about because I saw kids do it all the time at birthday parties, normally like very polite, nice kids, but they're opening presents and they just kind of aren't as polite as usual. And as I say something like, I already have this book. And so I had my kids, we used to have them practice when they were little, like three and four and maybe even five, practice opening things. I'd wrap things like spoons or a sock or a book they already had but they're not fond of and then they practice opening being like oh thank you you know and even saying something like I love the color you know even if they hate the sock they love the color or whatever practice that and then my um, especially my younger son who's not this way anymore but when he was literally went through a bit of a shy period and my parents would come and visit every few months, but you know, you're like a year and a half and you haven't seen someone for four months. That's a long time. So I would have them practice when the doorbell rings, going towards the door. So that way, even if he was kind of shy and he didn't really want to interact, he at least was near the door, which sort of gave the impression he was super excited to see them. And then soon he was. So, I mean, I definitely practiced, um, you know, a lot of things because I just didn't want, um, you know, anyone else to feel bad for any reason, mm-hmm. you know, like a child that gave him a really nice book, but that we already had, uh, or, um, you know, my parents, you know, feeling bad that one of their grandchildren might want to like sort of hover in the staircase and not even greet them, that kind of thing. I will say, I do wish, I do kind of wish my parents would have done that. I mean, I have lovely parents, but um, 
And there's so many things I, if I had known practicing was an option, I totally would have, like, if I could have practiced, you know, before I broke up with people, that would have made it way less stressful for me and for them, I'm sure. Like, Yeah, that's just... a great idea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm mean, that's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. And the nice yeah, thing, yeah. yeah. Oh, I think we all had a thought at the same time. Um, I, You know, you talk about practicing with the opening presents, and I think it, the current trend, anyway, for little kids' birthdays, um, my, you know, my kids have a pretty large span in age. I've got a teenager down to a toddler. And what I've seen is that the trend now is nobody opens presents at the birthday party anymore. Um, And that was just starting to phase in when my youngest was like nine or 10. Yeah. I love it Um, because not only was that like the most stressful part of a birthday party when it's your child's birthday party because, oh my gosh, okay, they've got to be polite. And, you know, if it's something they don't like, I hope they don't just throw it over their shoulder and look for the next thing. Um, But also for the kids in the audience, like to have to sit there. Boring. Yeah. It's like, okay, so we're just sitting here watching you do this. This is, and you know, they're like, my next, my next, we want to see, you know. And so I, I love that the trend now is just, the gift shows up and you take it and you say thank you and that is so wonderful we appreciate it so much and you open it later and that way if it's something they want to take off and play with for four hours straight before they see the next thing no one's offended and you write your little thank you note and everything's great um you know I, but, I think it's so much better i feel like it all fits in the category of setting them up for success like mm-hmm, so often yeah. kids you take an ice cream and then open presents which is obviously problematic everyone's all like yeah. you know sugar buzzed and then doing this and then people do feel bad they want to do mine first or like even if the child's pretty well behaved and they're trying to act like they like every gift it can be hard to be convincing and then yeah sometimes yes. you know the obvious is even socioeconomic issues like one person's gift might clearly be a lot more in monetary value which doesn't at all mean it's a better gift but there's that value mark too. And I mean, when that sort of started the season, my kids were already kind of past that stage of having like birthday parties with lots of people. They were starting to have a couple of friends over and it was different. I think it's a wonderful trend because it basically, it then doesn't set up a whole bunch of children, including the child having the birthday and also the guests for potential behavioral failure. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that it grew out of just societal negative reinforcement, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, it's just the most uncomfortable part of the party and we all want it to end what can we do to make this not happen yeah and if i just take the present and say thank you can we not do the yeah. painful part and you know so again it it's sort of this subconscious collective agreeing that you know this is better at home and, yeah. and we all appreciate the fact that and this is you know we're talking young kids parties when they're you know two no no we're talking every party my sister's having a baby shower coming up and i'm like could we just not oh no you've got to sit there and play those games sorry but uh i know the baby shower is a whole nother thing (laughs) but it's the same right like you have to open everyone's gifts and then you have to engage in your behavior of looking appropriately thankful and delighted every time you're surprised and delighted every time even though you've picked out everything on this list right yes (sighs) anyways right it is a certain awkwardness i mean i'm 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 more comfortable with the idea of adults kind of having to suck it up and do it, although I <laughs> uh, happily abandoned that as well. But for kids, it's really yeah. likely to not end well. But, you know, when my kids were little, that was the trend. And, you know, I hadn't thought of changing that around myself. And, you know, I felt like my kids were going to be in the situation. I was just trying to make it as good as possible mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. by preparing them for it and also trying to move through pretty quickly. Yeah, I will say another thing that I find, you know, talking about the societal niceties that people have to learn. I mean, if you if you want to be part of society, there are things mm-hmm. that 
mm-hmm. we do that's part of the social contract. Um, and a lot of that is the saying please and thank you. Um, and so reinforcing all of those little things, it's it's really, really important. And so, you know, I just I just love that you've written this really easily accessible book. Mm-hmm. It's so straightforward. You've got so many great examples in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it speaks to all that. But on top of it, it, it really is a fun way to learn that these behavior principles work, mm-hmm. you know, no matter the species that you're working with, so long as you've got the right components in that equation, um, you know, you have something that's reinforcing acting as a reinforcer. You have something that um, you've set up the right contingencies. You've got a good relationship with what you are trying to change the behavior of. Mm-hmm. Like all those little things are so important and, and your book illustrates them in really great detail and, and very, very comical. It's very lighthearted. It really is an easy read. And, you know, once you get into it, you realize that it's the most perfect title for, for the for the book. <laughs> like anything more serious wouldn't have fit the tone of the book. So I, I think it's a, uh, it's a fun, it's definitely a fun weekend type of, <laughs> yeah. oh, and so, well, I hope that people will read it and no longer even think of the expression, treat everyone like a dog as a bad thing at all. I mean, I think it's, it's a good thing, but obviously I chose the title because of, you know, it's the opposite, but I mean, to me, treating everyone like a dog is a really nice thing to do. I mean it so respectfully. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to use that the next time someone gets mad at me when I, because I've said phrases like that before and people have gotten upset with me, mostly my husband. So I'm going to steal the way that you have described that because that's lovely. But Oh, good. Yeah. So, so Karen, when you're thinking through, because I imagine the first people who are going to look at this are going to be dog trainers, but like, it's really not just for dog trainers. So when you're thinking through who the audience would be like who would enjoy and who could benefit from this book like who did you have in mind when you wrote it well certainly dog traders uh, and dog behaviorists are one major category but I think anyone that's interested in social behavior anyone that's interested in interacting with other individuals and having some you know control over the interaction so I really think of it as a um, applied psychology kind of book um, as much as I think of it as a dog training book but I would hope that anyone with you know anyone who's married might find it interesting um, anyone who is on a team anyone mm-hmm. who um, you know uh, has any kind of social interactions especially ones that they might find currently troubling <laughs> absolutely and the nice thing is it looked like the editor was Eileen Anderson so she's also very well versed in all of these pieces and how to apply them to different species oh absolutely yeah so Eileen Anderson is the editor and uh, this is for people familiar she has a wonderful blog eileenanddog.com and she's active you know, on Facebook and Instagram and I think Twitter I'm not on Twitter so I don't know but um, <laughs> and yeah but her blog is wonderful and she's just amazing uh, in terms mm-hmm. of her breadth of knowledge uh, and I, I I'm I'm so fond of exaggerating and so it's a shame I'm not even exaggerating when I say that she made every page better I really <laughs> she really really helped the book yeah she's excellent so. so I'm not surprised to hear that and so then so for all these people who would be potentially interested in getting a hold of your book Karen where should they turn to like try to purchase it well right now it's available on Amazon and the next place that it's going to be available will be at Dogwise but I just haven't oh. made those arrangements yet um, so yeah Dogwise and Amazon. Nice. So if you're buying books for the holidays, it sounds like um, Amazon might be the first place to check out, but you know, it's always nice to to support smaller businesses. So Dogwise would be good too. So that's super. Yeah, definitely. Yes. I, and I'm, um, you know, and I hopefully will be, you know, getting it into other places, but uh, this was my first, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, sort of foray on a solo book. So I'm still in, in process. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, Amazon and Dogwise are the place. And yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of people would prefer to support specific businesses and, you know, Dogwise 
is obviously great in terms of really being so supportive of the dog community. Absolutely. All right. Well, Karen, thank you so much for being on the show and for chatting about your book. And do you have more books coming out soon? Is that on the I am market? planning to. I am planning to write uh, some other books coming up, but I don't uh, like I don't have anything like you know tight in the pipeline. I am going to be I do plan to release a book with my uh, columns from the newspaper, you know, sort of a compiled column, and I'm also interested in um, doing some of my other essays that I've written about dogs uh, compiled. And then I also quite a bit in the future I'll be writing some other very specific dog books, but I haven't sorted out yet. <laughs> sounds good. Well, when you do, we'll have you back on the show. Excellent. That awesome. All right. Thanks so much. Karen. Talk to you later. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. 